Welcome to The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. If you've experienced the loss of someone close to you, Dr. Connie and her guests will share guidance, love, and support to help keep you moving. Now, here is Dr. Connie. Welcome to the third episode of The Widow's Walk. My new podcast, which I started in February this year, is dedicated to the one million new widows in America. The Widow's Club is a club none of us wanted to join, none of us planned to join, but here we are, right? Suddenly widowed like myself, or there are widows in waiting who sadly know their husbands will precede them in death. In fact, I was startled to know and realize that 75% of married women become widows. I guess it makes sense since women live longer than men by about seven years. Women tend to marry older men as well. The unbelievable statistic is that the average age that a woman becomes a widow is 57, which is very, very young. One million widows each year in this country. One million new widows, and there are over 11.8 million widows. So that's a very large listening audience for us to address. I have really been touched since February by all the emails and the texts and the calls from listeners all over the country. And actually, we have... Listeners in other countries like Brazil and Asia and Africa, believe it or not, this uh, House Calls and my other po- this podcast, Widow's Walk on Voice America Network, reaches so many people in so many different lands. But the letters have been really sweet and loving. And one of my fellow widows out there in my Girls in the Hood group sent me a nice message saying that when I had shared my story of my last day with my beloved John in 2019, she said it brought tears to her that the journey of going from we to me is definitely not a sprint, but a long walk of continual growth and learning and just living to learn to make it a new life. But it also makes you a stronger, more aware me is what she says. So that's from widow Nancy, uh, who reached out for my dear friend Vita, who was widowed many years ago and was able to remarry happily. She sent me congratulations when she listened to our first episode. And she says she knows this show will bring healing to so many widows and widowers who listen. So it isn't just widowers, widows alike, but it's also widowers and in many ways people who grieve the lost a loved one. One of the shows we're going to do in June is for parents who've lost a child, or we call them the shining light parents. So for anybody who sheds a tear because they've lost a loved one, this this is a good show for you. So each month, I dedicate an episode to some aspect of the widow's journey. I call it the widow's walk since only the widow can walk the walk. And it's about grieving in your own personal way. There isn't any timetable. It's what works for you personally. As a widow, you can't delegate or hire someone or pay someone to grieve for you. You have to do the walk yourself. You have to shed the tears. You have to make the moves. You have to do the things to get you through that pain. My guests are really very special people who have helped me and helped my friends and my patients on their journeys as widows. Last month, we had a bereavement counselor, Edie Yoder, to share her advice and her wisdom about the grieving process. Our first episode in February was with uh, one of our fellow widows, who also is a minister who told her story as well. Uh, This month, we have uh, a very special guest who I'm going to introduce shortly, and it has to deal with the hard, cold facts of losing your husband, right? What's that? Death and taxes, guys. You know, what more appropriate way to bring that up but the month of April, 
we just passed income tax day. So we think about death and taxes and who I think it was Ben Franklin had the, the, the quote, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. So, you know, you can't leave this world without paying taxes. And in the end, even after you lose your husband, guess what? There's an estate tax or taxes to pay. But before we discuss paying taxes, let me share some information about the financial impact of losing a spouse. According to research, the death of a, of a husband very often induces the poverty of the surviving spouse, even though the married couple had not been poor. While only about 9% of couples, prior couples, are considered poor, approximately 35% of the subsequent widows are. According to the Social Security Administration, the rate of poverty among elderly widows is three to four times higher than that of their married peers. So three to four times that. I heard somebody quote that one in 10 widows is in poverty, which is very sad to hear. So they're not the, uh, quote, the rich, the rich widows of Scottsdale, which I think I'll pitch as a reality show. There's a large number of women who suffer. Not only do they lose their husband, but they lose their financial income. They lose their house. They lose whatever support they have after they lose them. So what happens to her income when her husband dies? An American widow sees a 37% decline in her household income. So not only do they lose them, they lose a lot of things. How can you avoid this loss you know, of your income and your revenue? It's all about planning. When you look back, how do you plan? You, have you had a discussion with your spouse before he died? You know, waiting for him to die you know, while he's in the hospital is sort of, it's you know, later better, it's better than never. But really think ahead of time. In fact, it, it hit me today when I was cl- in clinic. I last two days I was I was doing physicals in my clinic in Scottsdale, and one of my patients yesterday, and I won't, I won't give names, uh, had remarried. He was a widower, no kids. She had remarried. She didn't have much money. He had a lot of money, and she was very upset because she knew that when he dies, he would leave her nothing. He made it clear he was going to donate it to a, a certain charity, some other group, but he made it clear he she would not get anything. So that was a very painful issue. The other one that came to mind today was one of my patients I'd known for 21 years had remarried a woman who was 26 years younger, had her own money, but lived in another country, and he's from the U.S., both high net worth individuals. And so I asked him, so what happens when you die ahead of her? Because she most likely will be your widow. What do you plan for your state, your trust? I mean, you have children. She has children. He says, you know, we haven't talked about that. We just got married six months ago. I said, it'd be a good idea to talk about that. You know, find some time, whether it's around your anniversary or dinner time, just when you're talking or going over finances, just have a talk with them about the painful things. And even, believe it or not, things like, how do you want to be if, when, if and when you, when you die? There isn't, you know, if, you, we all die. But when you die, if you precede me, what would you like for your funeral service? What would you like for your burial? Would you like to be cremated? Where would you like to be scattered? It's those uncomfortable things. And, and as a physician, a lot of times when I see my patients for their physicals, I actually talk to them about those things. I said, you know, do, you, do we have an advanced directive on you? Who's your health care power of attorney? Who's your power of attorney anyway? Um, have you shared a lot of things with passcodes? In fact, the Wall Street Journal had an article I think this weekend about life after death, secure your digital legacy before you die. You know, something happens to your husband or your wife and you're, you know, they're in an accident. Do you have passwords? 
I mean, your all your ink, all your um, all your your net worth, your revenue, your stocks and bonds. Whose names are it in your house? Who's the deed made after? I mean, where where's all the stuff hidden? I actually have written some information for my survivors. Um, if something happened to me, where passwords and my attorney's name and where my my will is located. And all those, I definitely have the name of the attorney and the number of contact so they know who to call if something happens. And a lot of people just don't want to go there. But you really have to think, especially when people around you are dying, gee, what happens after that? Because a person's died, has moved on, but who are your survivors? What's happened to them? Do you really want to leave them a headache and sorrow? Not only are they grieving, but how are they going to navigate the system? So it really is about learning to adjust to life afterwards and how do you do it when you have the challenge of an estate of what to do with the assets how to distribute them you know paying your taxes regarding that how do you avoid those headaches and heartaches while you're grieving as a widow so in studio we have our special guest is somebody who has helped many of his clients navigate the death of a spouse from the legal aspects of trusts wills and estates so i want to welcome Michael Murphy here. And let me give a brief introduction to Mr. Murphy. He is a shareholder in the Phoenix law firm of Milligan Lawless PC. He concentrates his practice in the area of general business law, estate planning, and taxation. He represents small and mid-sized businesses in a variety of industries. He graduated cum laude from the Arizona State University College of Law in Tempe, Arizona in 1989. He has a Bachelor of Science degree cum laude from the University of Colorado at Boulder in 1982. Before he went to law school, he had a, this is actually really good. He practiced as a CPA with, is it Touche? Touche. Touche, Ross, and company, now Deloitte. That's right, Deloitte and Touche. Um, in both the audit and tax departments. And I, in our uh, e-card information, we, we have his contact information. So, Mike, welcome to our show. Thank you, Connie. Pleasure to be here. Now, don't worry. We're not going to have to depose you. We won't have to o- oath or anything like that. I just wanted to have a conversation and sort of pick your brain as to things that come up among widows and somebody who's unbiased. You're not handling any cases regarding any of my patients that I'm aware of. Um, First of all, how many years have you been working as an attorney specializing in wills and estates? 34. That's a long time. That's a long, long time. Mm -hmm. What made you go into that? Well, I was a CPA before, as you mentioned, and then I got into law, and I was representing a lot of small, closely held businesses. And because of my tax background, they would ask, do you do estate planning? Wills and trusts, we need to do that. And so I just kind of fell into doing wills and trusts for my existing business clients. Tell me the difference, you know, for the, for listeners out there who widows, well, they're not widows yet, soon to be widows or anybody listening. Can you tell what, define what a will is, when an estate is, what a trust is, just sure. simply? So a will is a written document signed by the testator is the name of it, but the person who's creating this. And it can be as simple as a piece of paper in their own handwriting and signed by them. Or it can be something more elaborate like what I prepare for people. Do you have to have it notarized? If You, you do not. You the first have... one is called a holographic will. And as long as it is in your handwriting, it's valid. How do people find it? I mean, do they just put it out there? Or it's on their a lot death? of funny stories about that. Really? But, uh, typically, they're in safety deposit boxes or they're in their file cabinet. One case, a guy hid it in a coffee can in the basement of his barn. 
They had a hard t- Actually, he hid a safety deposit box key in the coffee barn, in the coffee can, in the barn, and then the will was in the safety deposit box. Because so. a lot of times you hear, I so-and-so being of sound mind and body, hereby bequeaths the following. Is that right. what they do, something like that? It doesn't need to be that you just formal. Said, I'm giving so-and-so to so-and-so. Exactly. And wow. signed by them. Okay. Signed by them. So I don't recommend these so-called no. holographic wills, but yeah. that, that, that's what a will is. So do that. What about what's an estate and what's a trust? So the estate is all of the assets of the decedent. A trust is created by an individual. They're called the trustor to be managed by another individual called the trustee for the benefit of beneficiaries. So there's three parties to a trust. Mm -hmm. So in many cases, people will do a will and a trust. But in its simplest terms, that's what a trust is. One of the things I didn't mention or didn't ask, what's an executor of an estate? And here in Arizona, it's a personal representative of an estate. Right. So the executor or personal representative is the person that steps into the shoes of the decedent to deal with the decedent's assets. So a, a common scenario is after somebody dies, they go to the bank and the bank says, we won't deal with you until you give us papers from the court that shows that you are the executor or personal representative. So that's all part of the probate process. But once you get that piece of paper that says you're the executor or Mm -hmm. PR, then you are basically the decedent alive, able to deal with his or her assets. So you represent them from the other side. Mm -hmm. That's their wish. Yeah. What's probate? Probate is the process you go through to appoint the personal representative. Mm -hmm. Once the person's appointed, They pay all of the bills of the decedent, they file the final tax return, and they distribute the assets in accordance with the will. So that's all the the basic things that happen. Mm -hmm. So in your business, what percentage of the time do people come and they just say, so-and-so's died, I don't have a will, I don't have an estate, and they just come, they call for help? I don't get that too often. So what do you usually get? I get people that don't have a will or a trust yet, and they ask me to prepare that. But the scenario you're talking about, if they come and somebody has died and they did not have a will, there's a statute in Arizona that dictates where their property goes. That's called the intestate statute, and it goes where you would think it would go. If you're married, it goes to your spouse. If you're not married and you have kids, it goes to your kids. If you don't have a spouse or kids, it goes to your parents, etc. So it depends on the legal aspects, depends on what state you're in, right? It does. A lot of that. And then now the estate tax, where does that come in? That's a federal tax, generally. The state of Arizona does not have a state estate tax. And not many people are subject to the estate tax because the exemption amount is currently almost $13 million. So the vast 99% of estates will not owe an estate tax. So they get whatever that, as long as it's under $13 million, they can keep it. They can keep, can it. keep it. with Common that. question. They're like, this money that I inherit, I assume I have to pay tax on that, right? Wrong. You don't have to. So they're really happy with that. Yeah. Another common misconception is that if you don't have a will, your assets go to the state of Arizona or whatever state you live mm-hmm. in. That's a very common misconception, and that is not the case at all. Oh, that's good. That's good mm-hmm. for them to know. Mm-hmm. Are there any states that they do go no. to? The so that's no. good. That's going to be really That would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, you never know, right? People are, when they go to you, so a lot of the people, you've prepared their wills. So somebody dies. How soon after they die do they re, you hear them calling you? 
they oftentimes will call a day or two after they die. And I always tell them, there's no rush. Take care of the final arrangements. And when you're ready in a few weeks, give me a call and we can sit down and I can walk you through the process. So when, let's say they, somebody's died, you know, you meet the, they come in, what, Walk us through what happens when you well, do the... Most of the time I did their estate planning for them. So mm-hmm. I have their will and their trust. So the most important thing I need at that point is their list of assets. And then when I get that, I can decide whether we need to do a probate or not. My job is to try and avoid them having to do a probate if I did the planning in the first place. And then if you don't need a probate, then we distribute the assets according to the trust. So when you go through that, what are the the most difficult things or challenges you see that happens to your clients? A couple things. One, like in the widow's walk, people don't know what their estate planning documents say, or they don't understand what they say. They don't know who the players are, who is the personal representative, who is the trustee. And then the biggest, Connie, is they don't know the makeup of their assets and how those assets are titled. Mm-hmm. That is really key, the titling of assets. Yeah, that's I think the difficulty in one of my patient's cases where the house and everything, her husband didn't even want to tell her. That was mm-hmm. the difficult thing she said. So you nav- you help them navigate all those things. As you do this, the problems that come up, is there a way they could have avoided it? I mean, the things that come up, what, what do you... What Very do you- much so. So these people that are on the, what do you call it, the widow's waiting game. They know their husband is about to go. Yeah, widow's in waiting. Yeah. Yeah. That's the time where you really should get together with your state planning planning attorney because in many cases, they can make things so much simpler for them once the husband dies. And it primarily deals with getting their assets titled correctly. But, you know, it's, I look at widows, and it's such a hard conversation you have. Because a lot of the widows I know for, as patients, they don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them don't want to say, they don't want the husbands to think, well, you, you're marrying me for my money. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to know that. But mm-hmm. there's a reason. I guess they wait for a certain You know, and a certain number of my patients and friends have prenuptial agreements. Mm-hmm. And then they work on that. But then it leads to the, the will in the estate. Right. You know, as, as a couple gets married, you know, people are out there, like my one patient remarried, and they decide to do this. Um, you can change it, right? Is there a way they can change it? The vast majority of the time, these things are fully revocable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you can change that. Mm-hmm. And then even for the widow, she has her own will, will and her own mm-hmm. trust as well. So you give her guidance regarding that. People procrastinate on this. It's yeah. just human nature. Who wants to deal with death and yeah. taxes? Right. So one of the compliments I often get is when we're done, they'll, they'll say, it's, that was a lot easier than I thought it was mm-hmm. going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know why our society has made estate planning so complicated or they think it's so complicated. A lot of times it can be really pretty simple. I think it's the, number one, realizing someone's going to die. They imagine that, being without them, and then realizing all the possessions are going to be divvied up, where mm-hmm. they go, what happens, and that their life will change. That is a very defining factor. What kind of conflicts do you see that happen? What are common conflicts? Well, the biggest conflicts are children from prior marriages. That causes Mm -hmm. some grief, especially if it's not laid out clearly. And even if it's laid out clearly, you still have 
children or spouses that are upset with how the estate plan is, go- is set up and how the assets are being divvied up. How, what percentage of those go to litigation, go to trial? Uh, hard for me to put a hard and fast rule, but I, I, in my experience, 20, 25%. That's well, actually a large number. Mm-hmm. Do they do they mediate or they ultimately? A lot of times they mediate. Yeah. Mediation I'm a big fan of. and What happens in mediation? You have a mediator that goes back and forth between the parties that are at odds over something. And the mediator tries to get the parties to both give to settle it without going to court. And that's a smart move, right? Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. Litigation, lawsuits, very, very expensive, very time-consuming, and most of all, gut-wrenching and emotional. I have uh, one of my patients after they were married 54 years, husband died of, of horrible dementia, and she was sued by her own daughter and her granddaughter. Where they say, and now, you know, they settled it, but they are now totally estranged. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the relationships as part of that. That, that becomes a defining very and much so. That will cause estrangement. Yeah. I mean, how do you get around that? Right. And I'm sure, you, in a lot of ways, I think you're probably more like a therapist, aren't you? Yes, You have to I like am. calm people down. I you am. get emotional. There's a reason lawyers are often called counselors. You are kind of more <laughs> of a counselor than a legal advisor. <laughs> yeah, you, you wind up being, you know, you are an advisor in a lot of ways. And have there been any cases, you, I know you can't give details, have like been a surprise for you? Like something that's totally out of the blue that's very challenging, but also, you know, unusual among your cases? None that I can think of off the top of my head, but th- these ones with um, disputes among the children and the second wife are probably the most difficult. Yeah, the heartaches and that. Yeah. We're, we're, we're about, uh, we're going to head to a break here in a few minutes, and we'll pause here. We'll take a quick minute break, and we'll come back with Attorney Michael Murphy on Widow's Walk, talking about where there's will, there's a way. So stay tuned on our show for more on the Widow's Walk. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Who's your doctor? When I was looking for a doctor, I thought, which person gets the best care of all and whose doctor's credentials are the most carefully reviewed? Well, the answer was obvious. Who looks after the president of the United States? My doctor is the doctor who is taking care of three presidents and their families, Dr. Connie Mariano. I've heard about her. She's board certified in internal medicine and has been practicing medicine for over 30 years. She was at the White House for over nine years and traveled everywhere with the president. Dr. Connie is available to me 24 hours a day, seven days a week by email, cell phone, or Skype. And when I see her in her private office in Scottsdale, she and her staff always treat me like I'm the president. I'm going to call her office now and join her practice. Dr. Connie Mariano is the doctor American presidents and their families have trusted with their lives, and I trust you with mine. For information about Dr. Connie Mariano's private practice, you need to visit drcmariano.com. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. 
Are you ready to live younger, longer? Andrew and Aaron Stevens with Apply Everyday Health are partnered with a 100-year-old company to help you build health through natural approaches. Our scientists believe that the key to a healthy lifestyle lies within nature. By using ingredients proven to be safe and effective, our products provide nutrition guaranteed to change your life in a positive way. To find out how you can get the same top-of-the-line vitamins taken daily by Olympic athletes, astronauts, and the White House doctor herself, visit applyeveryday.com. Welcome back to The Widow's Walk. Remember to check out the show page on the Voice America website for more episodes. Now, back to Dr. Connie. Welcome back to The Widow's Walk in this episode about where there's a will, there's a way. And hopefully the way is less painful and burdensome for the widows as they go through this. If we get some legal help, definitely before, during, and after this process. So we've got attorney Michael Murphy of Milligan Lawless here to impart his 30-plus years of knowledge in, in wills, estates, and trusts. And we were talking a little bit on the break about his recommendations about headaches that come up and how you can avoid them. Mention, Mike, Mike, about the proper titling of, of assets that you, you said was important. This is where an area that I see clients um, go astray quite often. They don't f- understand how important it is that an asset is titled correctly. There are many assets that have beneficiary designations. So your will and your trust have no effect on those assets. And examples of these are life insurance, annuities, IRAs, 401ks, and accounts that have payable on death, transfer on death. So people will come in, I'll do their will and their trust, and they think they're done, but they don't have the proper beneficiaries on these type of assets. So they have to go back to like their life insurance policy and and make sure the designation is... Correct. Okay. And nowadays, it's all online. Yeah. So you go online with John Hancock, you get yeah. a change of beneficiary form, you fill it out, send it in. Yeah. You have your 401k at work, you talk to your plan administrator, get the new beneficiary designation on file, sign it, and you're done. That's where I, I see people, that's probably the biggest mistake I see people make. And if there's none, what happens? They don't then it's, it, it'll end up going to the estate in many cases. And then they decide what to do there. And then that means you have to do a probate because mm-hmm. it's not going to a trust. It's going to go to the estate. So that delays things and increases the cost. So real estate as well, right? Property, Real land. estate, especially real estate in other states, you'll want to either get that in a trust if you have it, or in many cases you can do what's called a beneficiary deed that dictates upon death it goes to a designated beneficiary. So it goes to that. And then... Things like personal effects, uh, jewelry, um, cars. I mean, you have to specify that? No, and that's never really, that's rarely a problem. Okay. Furniture, clothing, jewelry, artwork, that's rarely an issue. You know, one of the misconceptions people have when somebody dies, they always show it on television and movies where the reading of the, the will or the estate, right? Somebody dies and they all gather and the attorney sits there and reads that. Does that happen? No. That makes for good drama, doesn't yeah, it? On yeah. movies and TV. But I'm always telling clients that, that that's only done in movies and TV. And I know some of my patients and friends have said they put into their will that if so anybody contests the estate, they'll be fined or they lose everything. Does yes. that ever happen? 
Very common. Really? So those clauses are pretty standard in all wills and trusts, and they're enforced about half the time. Because sometimes a beneficiary has a legitimate beef. Mm -hmm. The trustee is not doing their job. The personal representative is not abiding by the will. So a beneficiary will challenge that. Mm -hmm. And of course, a court is going to uphold that in that case. So you know, that's about 50-50 on those. So it's 50-50. You know, I thought it was good timing that we both saw the Wall Street Journal special, and, and, the, and it's from this Tuesday, yeah, April 25th, Life After Death, Secure Your Digital Legacy Before You Die. Do you want to address some of this? This is a really good article. Well, th this <laughs> is a kind of a new issue in the last four or five years. Um, everything's online now, mm -hmm. right? And so you've got usernames and passwords, and a lot of times people don't get their statements mailed to them. They're just all emailed to yeah. them and they access them all online and on death. If your loved ones don't have access to that, that can cause some serious problems. So this article, and I agree with it, recommends that you use a password manager. And there's several of them. This one of the ones they mentioned in here is called LastPass. That's the one I use, but they're, they're all good. And it's easy for people to navigate and use that? So Pretty easy. My wife might argue with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody dies, like the, you know, do you leave a, a passcode and then they can access that? In yeah, name? like LastPass provides in that article that you can name an emergency contact. Mm -hmm. And so I die and my wife could then go on and see that she's the emergency contact. And then so she'd have access to all of my passwords so, for all the accounts. So spouses really need to do that. They should yes. do that. Yes. So the guy dies, okay, Someone, a woman loses her husband, and how long does it take for the estate to close? That can be as short as 30 to 60 days if there's no probate. Mm -hmm. If there is a probate, about as fast as it's going to go is six months, and I've seen them last years. Mm. What's the longest you've seen it last? Well, I've got one now that we're on our fourth year. Wow, it's tough. You know, and there's... A lot of times it's because there's a lawsuit involved. So if there's lawsuits, then that really slows down the process. Yeah, it drags it up. Mm -hmm. So after it closes, then you got a widow. And commonly, I'm sure the widows go to you and say, all right, what about my trust in the state? What do I do? Because widows have nobody, you know, and only 16% of widows remarry. So there's no husband. What do typically they do? You've got a widow. I've got large group of widows. What do they do next? So they go talk to their attorney. This is... After their husband's died after or husband's after died. they've gone through the probate or the process with their deceased? They're all done with their, their, their estate. Now they've got whatever money they have. I see. And she's, now it's for her. Right. Now it's all about her. So that's pretty easy. What so do you do? They, they come in and I basically say, where do you want your assets to go upon your death? Mm -hmm. You know, and who do you want to serve in these roles? Who do you want to be the personal representative? Who do you want to be the trustee? When do you want them to get their money? If they're minor children, we probably want to set up a trust and have it doled out over time. Do, so, for minor children, let's say somebody's got like a two-year-old and a four-year-old grandkids that they don't see too often. What do they typically do? They set up a trust and then it goes to them at a certain age? So for grandkids, there's different philosophies on that. Some people want to set up trusts for their grandchildren. Um, a lot of times my recommendation is that the parents are usually in the best position to know what's best for their children. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I advise people, I'm okay leaving some money to the grandchildren in trust, but I wouldn't leave too much because that can 
take away a lot of incentive for the mm -hmm. grandchild to live a productive life if they know they're going to get this big inheritance when grandma and grandpa die. You know what Warren Buffett had said about that? He said, I want to leave enough money to my children so they can do anything, but not so much that they do nothing. It's true, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, because yeah, you good kill advice. incentive. Yeah. And you make them work for it. Because We've all seen people like that, haven't we? Oh. We know people like that. I have families in, in my practice that the kids inherit a huge sum in their 20s, and they, they stop working. They stop working. They totally right. quit. And then right. they get into some unhealthy behaviors that, you know, it's the money's lost after that. It's right. really sad. It's supposed to help you, not destroy you. But right. it's, it's your whole idea about what do you do. It's, it's the question I ask people. If you won the lottery... What would you do? And in a lot of ways, it's winning that mm -hmm. and, and, and how you, you manage your money and your ego and everything goes with that. You know, and it's a tough time. So you talk to widows about what do they do with their assets? You know, name somebody, you designate somebody, and then, you know, you leave it that. How do, how do, uh, how do couples find a good attorney? How do they know? I mean, what do you, what do you recommend? Well, you want someone who's experienced, someone who is in your state, um, the uh, laws governing wills and trusts are unique to each state, especially community property states versus non-community property states, which are called common law states. So you really need to have an attorney in the state where you live. Mm -hmm. So as long as you get somebody that's experienced, good communicator, check around, get some uh, Word of references. Mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Word of mouth yeah. with that. And like I said, a lot of times people make it more complicated and difficult than it is. So let's say the attorney retires. What happens? They just go back to the law firm and find who's covering for them? Yes. Like in, in my law firm, we just had a fellow estate planning attorney retire a couple years ago. And so a lot of his clients came to me. A few have gone elsewhere, which is fine. So... That's very common. You know, I, I, I always think how you're in a lot of ways, you are the counselor you know, get people through this because it's pretty emotional for a lot of them. And I think when widows go through it, it it's the finality, right? We're, we're going over a will now in a state mm -hmm. that he's never coming back. And this is the aftermath. And of the things that a couple's built together, that now it's, it's being divided up. The assets, the home is going away and, and how they look like that. You know, one of the things I talk about is it's it's the journey from from we to me and and you know a lot of it is the life you share and that's already it's being quantified in terms of value right the value of that life and what it boils down to and it it really it's the hard facts of it mm -hmm. you know how much that that values what it, happens it's interesting for me I'm 63 I'll probably continue doing this for another seven or year seven years or so but. Early on, uh, most of my clients were young and uh, had very few of them that had died. Now, at my age, more and more of them are passing on, and I'm dealing with all of these issues. Yeah, I see it in my patient population. Mm -hmm. My private practice I've had for now 20, oh gosh, it'll be 18 years. been practicing medicine 41, 41 years. A lot of my patients now, I've had them for 21 years. I went to a celebration of life. Uh, for my 85-year-old patient on Sunday. And I, I spoke to his widow, and she, this was his second wife. He was a widower, he met her, remarried. So there, actually, I think she decided to sell the house, take the assets, just sort of start all over again. 
but it, it is something where, you know, you need somebody like a counselor to walk you through because it's scary. Anything mm-hmm. that's legal, every time, you know, widow sees an email from their attorney, they, their blood pressure goes up, right? Mm-hmm. It is very, very stressful. And any type of litigation, I think people find extremely stressful. And, you know, I, I look at as a physician and as a widow, you know, about taking care of ourselves through the most difficult part. And one of the things I'm going to write about is that journey. You know, you, you get the shock of your husband dying and then you do. Well, I, I went into the automatic, you know, what do I need to do role? That's what you do in the military. Who do I notify? What do I need to do next? And then you, you go into all this stuff you have to do, the, the legal stuff, getting the death certificate, doing having the funeral celebration of life, you know, notifying the people who need to be notified, you know, going over the, the wills and the estate. But you know, the last person on the list really becomes yourself, is, is widows taking care of themselves. And, and I was interested to, to read something called The Widowhood Effect. And in it, they found that older people who've lost a spouse have an increase of dying themselves. Uh, research shows that the risk is highest during the first three months following the death of a spouse. I have a <clears throat> close friend of mine who, uh, right after her husband died of a heart attack, she had a heart attack. She had to resuscitate him at home. And within a week, she had a heart attack and went up in the hospital. And so there was an article in the 2014 study in the Journal of Public Health that people whose spouses had just died had a 66% increased risk of dying within the first three months after the spouse's death. You know, and you think of the broken heart, right? You think of not sleeping, not wanting to be here anymore. Uh, Totally understanding that. Uh, Prior studies had placed the increased chances of death for the surviving spouse even higher up to 90%. So you, you just watch them closely, you know, and I know a lot of my widow friends newly widow, we, we just keep tabs on them. Mm-hmm. We just check, how are you doing? And, and if you have a friend who's recently lost their spouse, check on them. Because, you know, if they're, if they're saying, oh, I'm fine, they're not fine. You know, they're, they're keeping it to themselves. You know, text them, call them, visit them. And then really, even after the three months, it's when everybody leaves, the, the bereavement begins where you miss them already. And, I go, and you keep thinking he's coming home, he's not coming home. And you start that process of, of doing that. But really, for the widows who listen in, you know, get some help. Tell people, you know, I'm not doing well. I'm suffering through this. Uh, I need some help, be it a psychiatrist you need to see or somebody who'd get you on some medication. But you'll see through, you know, insomnia, weight gain, weight loss, alcohol use, pain medicines. You, know, you just got to get some help and, and don't isolate. And I think COVID made that so hard for a lot of us that... You couldn't see anybody. You couldn't be, touch your friends or be with them. Question for you, Connie. Do you find that widows are more comfortable with fellow widows, widows and widowers? They are. They mm-hmm. are. They. Um, I, I run into, I, I tell people I'm not recruiting, but I keep becoming a widow magnet because I always run into the widows. And you get it. You know what it's like of that loss, how they died. And we, we find comfort in talking about our husbands. And it's though he's still alive. And when you share that, they totally understand the grief, the crying. All of a sudden, they, one of them, just, you know, we just, I call it the tsunami of tears. All of a sudden, you're doing something, and all of a sudden, you start crying. I still cry. It's, it's you know, almost four years, and I still cry. Certain songs will come up, and I think about him. And, and it's perfectly normal. And I, I asked another widow, what is it you don't want people to tell you? And one of them was said, 
I don't like when they say he's in a better place. And she goes, that's not true. If you were in a better place, he'd be here. So they, and, and then the other one who told me she didn't like it when people said, well, you should be over this by now. And you, you know, there's no timetable. You know, it's like, okay, it's been three years. You should be dating. And you said, you're kidding me. No, so we all have our own timetable. We all grieve in our own personal way. And, you know, it's, it's how you move on with life. It's even when you look at the estate and the will, you know, it's, it's all the legal aspects. You know, you go from, you know, what does that mean? It's really final. It's the final thing. And, and then when you're done, you're done, right? You move on. And, and what do you do when you move on? It really changes a lot of ways you look at life and the things you value and that, you know, when you're, it's your time. And I know for me, I'll wind up, you know, probably redoing my will, figuring what to do next and making it sure that it's in good hands and that there's no room for ambiguity, that it's clear. And the hope that the survivors, that there's no fighting. My greatest wish is that when I go, that my children get along, that and my children, yeah, particularly my children and my grandchildren, my grandchildren will be fine, but my children that there is no fighting, that they get along, and they're supportive of each other when I am gone. And that would make me happy. The best way to avoid that is to make sure they understand what your plan is. And mm-hmm. this is how you, you wanted it to go. Because where I see the fights is they, they find out what the plan is post-death, and they're confident that that was not mom or dad's wishes. Mm-hmm. And that creates the fight. Uh, or if mom remarries. Mm-hmm. I have widows who remarry. And then that becomes sort of messy. Then you said, well, you, I tell my patients or my friends, you really should talk to your attorney. So if you're remarrying, he has assets, you have assets, he has kids, you, you got to go through the whole thing. Do Widows who remarry, do you recommend they do a prenup? Uh, if they want to keep their assets separate. So in most of the, most of the time they do. So yes. I do recommend What's that. a common thing that they do in prenups, in prenuptials, prenuptial uh, agreements? Prenuptial agreements is for divorce, mm-hmm. not for death. So if there is a divorce, on divorce, who gets what? Mm-hmm. Typically, especially if, if it's later in life, both couples, both people have some significant assets. You take your assets, I take my assets on divorce, and we split whatever community property mm-hmm. we may have. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. But they have to disclose their assets, right? Completely. Yeah. Do you have high net worth patients, uh, clients who don't 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 prenup, don't do a prenuptial? Sure. Really? Mm-hmm. Because they they're not going to divorce, an, or they've been married a long time. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just goes to the will and the estate and the trust. With that, how could we do it better? How can what, one other thing on that? A lot of times, you don't need a prenuptial agreement to keep your assets sold and separate. So it's how they're they titled. Just, it's how they're titled. Your trust and if everything's mm-hmm. in your trust, you don't need to do a prenup. If it's in an account in your sole and separate property or the real estate isn't as mm-hmm. your sole and separate property, you don't need a prenup. Yeah. So really, it is about in the event of a divorce. But if you don't plan it. Totally. Divorce, okay. Prenups are for divorce. They actually even say in there that this document has nothing to do with how the, the parties to it may handle their estate planning documents, their will and their trust. Now, one of the, uh, my friends who's getting remarried, I asked her, are you doing a prenup? She said, no, because we don't plan a divorce. <laughs> we plan to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, 50% of them end in divorce. Yeah. So. Which, uh, yeah, isn't that, yeah, that's, you, you see it. You see mm-hmm. it a lot, you know, even in the latter stages with that. Um, any other thoughts about wills and estates and things that have come up for you all the years that you've seen? The only thought 
I would have is if you know you're the widow in waiting, Mm -hmm. look at how your assets are titled and make sure that your beneficiaries are correct. If you have a trust, is are the assets titled in the trust rather than in the, the 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 sick spouse's name and that'll just make things so much easier for you mm-hmm. after he dies right just it's how it's worded i think it's, it's just how having it's titled it's how it's titled it's you know really having the conversation one of the things i do with my children is once a year i get together i go on a little retreat with them and i tell them what i want this is what i want to the point of of when I die, I would like the following done. And actually, I have my the music I want played at my service. <laughs> I know I'm a little anal compulsive about that. Oh, I, I know several yeah. people they have the that music. do that. Yeah. Well, some people do the virtual message that they have or the, the photos they want played or the obituary. <laughs> it's sort of interesting how right. they do it. Right. A little bit my, too controlling. My wife and I sing in a choir, so the music at our funeral is important to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did one of the radio shows, and it was called the uh, the final sa- the fly- final playlist. So I have a playlist of music I want played, and it's actually very some of the music I picked for John's service. And it's and and I'll, I'll play it on my Spotify, and I said, well, yeah, that's going to play at my fa- you know my my funeral service. That's sort of a nice song for that. So you include that, but you know it's it's sort of the the death and taxes again. It's the finality of it, and you know it shouldn't like hover over you thinking about the final things. But I think. I tell my patients, just delegate a time, designate a time. Then you have that tough conversation, right? And I see it a lot when somebody will email, or the wife will call and say, well, so-and-so needs a refill. And I'll say, well, protective health information, you're not listed as that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you details about your husband's health. He's got to designate that we're allowed to share that information. I can't, you know, well, you know, what's his, what's his blood work show? I said, I can't share that information mm-hmm. with you because, you know, your husband has to say that you're okay to get that. So it's a lot of legal to protect us that we're not leaking information to the wife who shouldn't know it. And I actually have in my practice couples who are formerly married separate, and you try to keep them separate, and you keep that separate from them. So you don't want that problem to come up. But um, in terms of the cases that you've seen, so you've really given to the main aspects of just being prepared for when it comes up, being specific about designating all the aspects of that, right? Yes. What, what I see is people come to me and they, they sign their will and their trust, and then they think they're done. Mm-hmm. And they largely are done, but your asset mix is constantly going to change, right, over time. Mm-hmm. Well, we bought a second home here, and now we got a life insurance policy, or we got a 401k. And over four, five, six, seven, eight years, they're not titled correctly. And so that's something that you ought to look at every few years to make sure your assets are titled correctly and you've got the right beneficiaries. So really you should just sort of check every year, every couple years? Every few years. Every few years. It doesn't need to be done every year. And you can kind of tell. You get something in the mail and it's titled in your individual name and you have a trust. Mm -hmm. Well, that should be in the trust. Right. You you get your premium notice on your life insurance policy. You say, well, I wonder who the beneficiary is mm. on that. A lot of times they don't show it on the premium notice or even on the statements you get. So you ought to check into that. 401k, check with your plan administrator. Make sure you got the right beneficiary. Yeah, you've reminded me. I, sh- I should probably check on some of those too. Because a lot of times you, but if there's no listed, isn't there a default? There's but a default. Yeah. Sometimes the default is it goes to the estates and that's no good. Now we got to do a probate, which isn't the end of the world, but... Mm-hmm. We'd rather avoid the time and expense of that. Or sometimes it goes where maybe the deceased person didn't want it to go. 
maybe it's going to the surviving spouse and he wanted to go to the kids or vice versa. Who knows? Yeah. But you, your wishes aren't being satisfied in that situation. It's because you didn't designate a beneficiary that we've got to look at the default provision. And you have to have good judgment and just weigh it. Mm-hmm. It's tough to be Solomon, right? The wisdom mm-hmm. of Solomon. Um, so, you know, that's sort of the, the bread and butter of that. You make it so easy. <laughs> you almost make it pleasant, right? <laughs> a tough situation. But, you know, I want to thank you for all what you do for all your clients to, to reassure them, to get them through just probably one of the most painful things that, that, that involves just anything law-wise, litigation, people's blood pressure goes up. Yeah, and you're welcome. I, I do try and tell people it's not going to be that difficult. I and mean, it's fixable. If you didn't get something done before he died, we can deal with it. Well, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. So for my widows out there, there is hope. You know, make sure you get a good estate attorney like, like my, Mike Murphy here or one of his partners to help you through it. And definitely do your homework. You know, don't just assume things are taken care of. Do your homework. Make sure things, sure things are titled. But also take care of you. That's part of taking care of you to avoid a lot of the heartache when, when, when he passes and and definitely for the widows in waiting out there who know their husbands aren't doing well, that the end is coming soon, start preparing and start having that conversation. What would you like? You know, what would matter to you? And not only about the wills and the state and the trust, but but really what they want for a funeral service, who do they want notified, I mean, as they're they're preparing for that for that final exit. So I think we're we're on. We're good. I think I want to thank you, Mike, for being on the show and all your advice and wisdom and for my Wonderful widows out there, one day at a time. Sometimes it's one hour at a time to get you through this on your journey from we to me. So with that, I wish you all the best, and we'll talk with you next month. Take care, and God bless. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of The Widow's Walk with Dr. Connie Mariano. We hope you've gained some peace and maybe even a glimmer of hope as you continue to move forward in your life. Until we talk again, have a beautiful day.